You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Benny and the Bets. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. It is a pre-New Year's edition of Benny and the Bets. We are presented, of course, by PXG and PXG Kansas City. Uh, this gentleman that uh, if you're watching us on YouTube or wherever, you get your podcast uh, to my right, uh, is someone that uh, I've had the privilege of reading his work for a long time and also hearing his work weekdays um, on 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City for many years uh, as I was the executive producer on The Drive with Danny Parkinson, Carrington Harrison. For years, they got to have a fun, big introduction for this guy and you all might know him as Sam Munson of Pro Football Focus, who you should be following at PFF underscore Sam and also is the co-host of the Pro Football Focus NFL podcast. Uh, but on that show, they called him one word, Sammy. I finally get to have after what almost <laughs> a decade, Sam, I finally got to have that introduction that I've been waiting for. But it's great to see you and I appreciate you making time for us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. So I kind of want to start things off by getting your collective Thoughts on what's been uh, a bit of a wild season locally here in Kansas City. I, I thought if you were looking at the betting markets and saying, okay, even a week or so ago before the Raiders game, that Kansas City still had as good of a shot as anybody to still walk away with that number one seed because of who Baltimore and Miami were playing. But then the Chiefs played themselves out of that one seed, and they're going to have to at some point play a football game likely on the road in the postseason. Give me your sort of overview outlook perspective on what you've made of the Chiefs situation this year and how much of it at least offensively has been a surprise to you yeah I mean I think it's been surprising to everybody there it's been the same week one to week to, to now and I think that's the biggest surprise is okay some teams start slow some teams come into the league or come into the season and they're dealing with some mistakes and some issues. And generally speaking, they they work them out over the course of the year and they get back on track. And particularly given the pedigree of Kansas City, given Patrick Mahomes, given Andy Reid, you know, Kelsey, given what we know this team has been capable of in the past, that lasted, I think, a long time of people saying, yeah, look, it's ugly. They're making mistakes. It's It's not where it needs to be, but they'll get it right. You know, we know this team is too good to stay at this level all the way through the year. And yet it has stayed at this level all the way through the year. And I think that's the most surprising thing is you look at that first game they played and it was a lot of offensive mistakes, a lot of uh, self-inflicted wounds. It's been the same story for pretty much any game. I mean, that's the Raiders game as well. So the two ends of the season look exactly the same and they haven't changed the dynamic at all over the course of the year. We're used to seeing this be a team that has been good at adjustments and maybe that's been maybe maybe that isn't necessarily a fair critique um maybe it's been Mahomes being able to work his magic um with incredible playmakers on the outside um hasn't seen it much the last couple of years and you still have Kelsey who's on pace for another 1100 yard season if you could pinpoint I know it's easy to just look at the wide receiver room and say that's the issue but what else have you noticed what else has maybe stood out um, that maybe isn't getting enough of the conversation as to why the Chiefs offense continually looks broken. I mean, a huge part of it is just the wide receiver room. You know, it it doesn't, it depends on, on the numbers and the stats you look at to try and kind of identify where the problem is. I think the clearest example of where it is, is 
if you look, PFF doesn't just track drops, but we track a whole bunch of other incompletion types that are, you know, receiver fault. So things like, did you stop your route instead of running through it and then cause an incompletion that way? Did the ground force an incompletion in a way that you should have held on, but isn't technically a draw? Um, you know, a variety of different things like that that are incompletions, but are, are definitely on the receiver and are technically captured in just a drop rate. And when you look at that, Mahomes has lost the most EPA, the expected points added of any quarterback in the NFL on incompletions that were receiver fault and not just wide receiver, but you add in the tight ends, running backs as well. So it's not just um, drops. It's all of the ways they're finding to make mistakes and they're showing up in critical situations as well. So, you know, the more of those on third downs that kill critical drives, um, the, the more EPA those guys are losing on those plays. So it's really hugely centered on that. There's also problems on the offensive line for the first time in a while. Um, obviously, after that Super Bowl where the offensive line had been a steadily progressing problem throughout that season, it was getting more and more banged up. And then by the time they hit the Super Bowl, it was just a bridge too far. And, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back and just a, a complete disaster. It felt like from that moment they went, okay, that can't ever happen again. We have to go and, and completely overhaul the offensive line, turn a weakness into a strength. And they have. They did that a really, a really good job on that. That line has been very good for years now. And then this offseason, the approach they took at tackle, which was effectively voluntarily changing two guys, right? And, and deciding, no, we're not going to pay Orlando Brown what he wants. We're going to use that money. We're going to spend it on Juwan Taylor instead. And we'll bring in Donovan Smith to try and uh, shore up the other spot. Neither of those moves has really worked, I don't think. Um, Donovan Smith hasn't bounce back to being the type of player he was earlier in his career. He looks more like the guy from last year, which was on the decline. And then Juwan Taylor has just been a penalty machine. Um, he's not a fundamentally bad player, but this offense is no longer capable of overcoming offensive line penalties. You know, a holding penalty is now a back-breaking penalty to this team. You know, first and 20 is an awful down to be in, whereas previously when the offense was functioning fine and, you know, they were in their zone, First and 20 was nothing. Didn't matter. They would just, they'd get it up. They'd get it done. They'd, they'd overcome that. Now, any mistake on the offense is just killing this team because the the efficiency isn't there. When it comes to what we've seen on the progression of the defensive side of the ball, how much room for error does it give a team like Kansas City come playoff time where they've had historical success against Baltimore? Obviously, it's a, a different offensive coordinator and a different scheme. You have Lamar playing back at an MVP level. You have a Miami Dolphins team in the way where they've already beaten them already this year, but Miami made it a game um, out in Germany. I, I know that there's flaws, but that's not to say that the rest of the AFC doesn't have flaws either. And again, with the improvements defensively, uh, what room for error maybe do you give this offense that if they do start to figure some things out come postseason, do you look at them as a still legitimate Super Bowl contender coming out of the AFC if X and Y are to go right. Yeah, I mean, this is the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever been paired with. So that's a huge thing. Um, I also think Kansas City are not alone in this conversation. Pretty much none of the teams we expected to be amazing are. You know, Buffalo has, they have work to do to even still make the playoffs at this point. And they've been kind of stumbling all the way through the season. Um, Miami has been one of the better teams, but they've had games where they've shown and and 
not been able to beat good teams. You know, they got over the hump against Dallas, but that was close. Like they had to get that done right at the end. Baltimore looked really good. Um, and maybe they might be the closest team to being like a really elite force, but every other sort of contender, obviously Cincinnati without Joe Burrow hasn't been the same proposition either. And their defense has fallen away. So all of these teams that we expected to be this incredible gauntlet in the AFC, most of them aren't. So even though Kansas City is not the team we thought they would be, neither is anybody else. So I think the Chiefs are still very firmly in this race. The defense being as good as it is um, gives them some help in the postseason. And Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. Like the thing that made the Raiders game so remarkable is that was basically the first time this year that Mahomes added to the problems, right? And I, I think people overreacted to that and said, well, Mahomes has got to change this and he's got to change that. Mahomes has been fine all the way through the season. He's been better than fine. He, this has been one of, I think, his better seasons in terms of a throw-by-throw uh, throw basis. Just his individual play, it's just that he's gotten no rewards for it and the offense overall has been letting him down. And then that Raiders game, was one of the worst single performances he's had in the NFL where he made a bunch of mistakes as well. And other guys are making mistakes still. And now, you know, a lot of people have decided, well, he's part of the problem as well. I don't think that's true at all. And I think if he just doesn't get let down by some of these guys he's getting the ball to, immediately the Chiefs transform into a different offense. We'll get back to the Chiefs in just a couple of minutes when we start going through their matchup with Cincinnati as well as some of the other key matchups on the board for Week 17. But I was over at PFF.com and I saw the article about the different playoff and Super Bowl probabilities for every team. Right now at the top of the list, you have Baltimore at 28% to win the Super Bowl. Right behind them are the 49ers at 20%. Eagles on that board, 11%. Miami, 9%. And then you drop back to 6% for Dallas, Kansas City, Detroit, and then Buffalo sneaks in uh, to round up that that 5%. I, the reason I bring up Baltimore is Given what we know and have seen consistently from this team this year, they're the the second favorite on the board as well uh, over at DraftKings to win the Super Bowl plus 380 odds. Um, do you still look at this team or, or maybe not still, but do you look at this team and correlate Lamar's season where even though the numbers aren't head and shoulders above everybody else's, but because of the consistency that Baltimore in general has put together led by him, um, do you look at him as a, the shoe in for MVP or are you looking at other candidates and say that they have a very legitimate case and maybe we're just kind of a prisoner of the moment with what we saw from Lamar on Monday night against San Francisco? Yeah, I, I don't think there is a shoe in for MVP this season. I don't think there has been a clear MVP at any point in the season, to be honest. I think we've gone through the entire year not really having any idea who the front runner for MVP is. And every time people kind of settle on somebody, it changes the next week, right? Right. Everyone had finally come around to Brock Purdy being an being a, a justified MVP, despite the concerns, despite you know everything that people were arguing against it. Everyone had kind of just about gone. Nah. At this point, it's hard to keep him out of the MVP discussion. And then he has a nightmare against Baltimore, and it's like, well, now it's Lamar Jackson. Um, and every time that's happened, it's been a different guy all the way along. Like Josh Allen has been a front runner at one point. Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy. Every time we settle on somebody, that they have a bad game or we move on to the next guy. And I honestly think that's that's true all the way through the season. It's just it's a different guy because there is no clear number one. And it's interesting. Last year was the first year where MVP and uh, was decided by 
like a ranked choice system, not just 48 votes going to one guy, two votes going to the other guy. Therefore, the guy with 48 wins MVP. Now, there's going to be a year, and it might be this year, when MVP has fewer vote, first place MVP votes than the next guy in the rankings, right? Or, or the guy after that. And this could be the year because it's so chaotic. But I also think that that's probably a fairer way of doing it, right? Of, of making sure that we don't just uh, lean on the guy with one more first place vote. We actually get a much more round, uh, rounded outlook of who all these 50 voters believe are the top guys and in what order. So who are you leaning towards? Is it still uh, another quarterback yet again? Or are we willing to have the conversation about somebody like Christian McCaffrey or Tyreek Hill being in that conversation legitimately? I think because there's been no clear front runner or quarterback all the way through the year, this is the year where I am happy to entertain arguments for other positions. Um, and kind of the same thing has happened at that. I think there was a, a period of time where I was willing to entertain defensive players for MVP this year. And then Miles Garrett got hurt and had a couple of games where he wasn't quite Miles Garrett. And that's that's happened on that side of the ball as well. Um, I, Tyreek Hill, I think, would have been my MVP if he hadn't got hurt and missed the game. Um, and they, they carried on trucking without Tyreek Hill. So I, I think... Tyreek Hill and Christian McCaffrey are the two guys that probably should be in the conversation as well. But I don't know if any of them has, this, if either of them has a strong enough case that you would definitely say they're MVP either. I think genuinely with, you know, two weeks, two games uh, left to go for most people, it is still wide open. Yes, I agree with you. And I think you're going to see, especially if the Dolphins uh, jump quickly on Baltimore, which uh, given what we've seen from the Ravens before, where sometimes they'll just return home after a big game and uh, won't have their foot on the gas pedal until a little bit too late or they'll let a lead slip away. Uh, I think Miami, not necessarily as much with Tua, but with Tyreek Hill because of his impact. Um, yeah, they they did okay without him, but I still think you look at him relative to McCaffrey and say, um, with him on the field, they are a night and day different offense. And especially if Waddle doesn't end up playing or if he misses time, uh, I think you'll notice the the impact there as well. So I think you could see even those numbers maybe move to the top of the list if Miami gets the best of Baltimore on the road this week. We're hanging out with Sam Munson of Pro Football Focus, always uh, generous with his time and his insights. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we will transition to the games for Week 17 and maybe start to look out even more with a couple of the top prospects in this upcoming NFL draft. We'll get Sam's perspective on all of that and more. Stay with us. This is Benny and the Best. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. All right, Sam, we've got a couple noteworthy games for Week 17 that I'm curious to get your perspective on. And we can start with Kansas City in the afternoon slate on New Year's Eve. Um, it's a matchup against the, the Bengals that I know was very hyped up for a long time, given the dynamic between Mahomes and Burrow and the rest of these teams going into the AFC Championship game for the last few years, and Cincinnati's, I don't want to call it even a dominance over Kansas City up until last year. Um, but obviously, no Burrow. Cincinnati finally starting to fall flat after hanging in the race for the last few weeks. Um, even if they have a healthy Jamar Chase, even if a healthy T. Higgins is in play, um, do you look at this Bengals team and say they can still go on the road and surprise a Kansas City team that, for really the, the first time in, in a long time, is facing 
a desperate Chiefs team at home in a game that they absolutely need to win. Yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen from um, Jake Browning is they're capable of still being a real problem for any team. Um, it's still based on the offense. Their defense has been surprisingly disappointing this year under Luan Rumo. Um, it was so good a season ago. They had quite a bit of turnover, but it, it hasn't been as effective as, as people thought it would be, even with Joe Burrow for that brief period of time where he was playing well and looked healthy. Uh, it's been a problem, but the offense... Jake Browning's looked spectacular for three games, I think, and bad for two. Like when he plays Pittsburgh, for some reason, Jake Browning, the magic doesn't work. But outside of that, he's looked really good. Now, none of the defenses that he's looked good against are as good as Kansas City. So it is a team that's going to be asking some questions of him that uh, most of the other teams that he's looked good at are good against haven't. But he's had that um, tendency during his time starting to just kind of toss the ball up, right, and let his receivers go and make a play. And there's danger to that from a defensive point of view because T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, like these are guys that can go and make plays on those types of balls. And even if they're not great throws, even if it's not good quarterback play, they can win at the catch point and they can turn it into a good play. So I think the Bengals are still dangerous with Joe Bra- with uh, Jake Browning, a quarterback, but it's a game you would expect Kansas City to have an advantage in because of that. Yeah, and, and despite everything that's happened with Kansas City this year, they're still only one of two teams that have been favored in every game that they've played so far in 2023. It's them and the 49ers. Uh, also, pretty remarkable note for anybody looking to bet on this game live, the second half unders, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, Sam, it's a pretty remarkable stat, that second half unders for the Chiefs this year, uh, even knowing what we know about this offense and, and the capabilities at least, uh, that they have with Mahomes and Kelsey, but second half unders, 13 and two uh, for the Chiefs this year. And then if you go even more specifically to the fourth quarter, unders are 14 and one in fourth quarters this year. And also Mahomes is at 38 passes dropped so far this year. Uh, that is by far the most of any quarterback in the NFL. Uh, it's five more drop passes than he had just a season ago. We mentioned Miami, we mentioned Baltimore. It's an intriguing game taking place. Uh, in Baltimore this week, you have the Ravens uh, as three-point favorites, which makes sense. Um, I, I look at Miami, and I still feel like this is a chance for them to make a run, knowing what's coming up with Baltimore. Well, excuse me, with Buffalo um, the following week. But do you look at this matchup for Miami with their speed on the outside, with sometimes the aggressive nature um, that the Ravens tend to take uh, with some of their corners and their safeties, and say, if you get Tyreek in space? Uh, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. It's still going to be really difficult to bring him down. Uh, the lines actually moved to three and a half. So do you look at Miami and say, not only are, are they a team that can attack Baltimore effectively, uh, but they could go into Baltimore and, and get a win here. Yeah, it's a really interesting matchup. That side of the ball is just fascinating. You've got this incredibly explosive offense. Tyreek Hill is basically unstoppable if you give him any kind of space. Um, but Baltimore's past defense has been historically good this season. You know, an incredibly low average yards per pass play. And one thing I think that's an interesting element of this game is they just faced this offense a week ago. Now, okay, it's a very different version of this offense because of the personnel. Instead of Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, it's Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk. But it's the same um, fundamentals. And they did a really good job against that 49ers offense. So. I'm curious to see sort of what effect 
essentially having pre-prepared for this type of offense we'll have on this Baltimore or on this Miami uh, attack. And then the other element is I think Kyle Hamilton is so important to the way this past game has been able to function this season that kind of do it all safety for the Ravens. For the second time in a few weeks, he went down with an injury that looked really serious. Um, the first time he was able to kind of shake it off and keep on coming and, and play the next game, I think. Um, but if he's not out there this week, I think that changes the whole sort of setup in the back end for the Ravens. And they're immediately an awful lot less capable, I think, of matching up with Miami than they would be if he was playing. The numbers that you brought up, too, especially with how good Miami's been on offense and, and Baltimore's historic defense, uh, you're talking about teams Miami ranks second in opponent points per, or excuse me, in points per play. Baltimore ranks first. Yards per play, Miami is second. Baltimore is second. Um, third down conversion rate, you have Miami, which is a top nine offense. Baltimore uh, against opponents, top three. Touchdowns per game, Miami's one. Baltimore for opponents is one. Where I, I think the key difference can be is, A, I, I think special teams in Baltimore might make a difference with all how reliable you can get with somebody like Justin Tucker. Or if it is a, a three-point game and you need a, a late field goal at the end, uh, I'm going to feel a lot better trusting Tucker than Sanders. Um, and then also, uh, Miami has had issues with stopping teams once they get into the red zone. They rank 26th in opponent red zone scoring compared to 8th for uh for Baltimore so if the Ravens get in the red zone and they convert um that that's going to likely line up and possibly be a difference here um another game that I'm curious to get your perspective on uh for this week is um the Lions and the Cowboys on Saturday Cowboys can't figure out their identity uh when they get home they're able to be really physical play action works exceptionally well for Prescott and then when they go on the road they just kind of forget what they do well. They obviously return home, but it's now a matchup against Detroit that um, from all indications has, you know, winning the NFC North and establishing, I think, a more complete identity than I've ever seen from them in my lifetime, certainly, uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, do, do you look at Dallas coming home and think to yourself, they're probably more likely to figure it out here and can they figure it out by almost a touchdown score? Well, I think they're definitely more likely to figure it out at home than they are on the road. Um, the big concern for them, I think, is that the last few weeks they've been getting run on a lot on defense, and that was that's been an area of weakness for them for a few years. They were they've been better this year, but they haven't quite fixed it. Um, you know, they spent a first round pick on Mozzie Smith, the, the defensive tackle, and he's just not able to make that kind of impact yet. Um, and and they they have been vulnerable there. Detroit has a monstrously powerful run blocking offensive line so it's kind of set up to attack that biggest weakness as well already uh dallas have the best pass rush in the nfl by a distance i think this year they are incredibly good but if you can't force them into passing situations it doesn't matter like if you have a team that can run the ball on them all game long that incredible pass rush doesn't factor there was a game you know a couple of weeks ago where Everyone's like, what happened to Micah Parsons? Micah Parsons was still amazing. It's just that they didn't pass the ball. So they didn't, it didn't matter. Uh, right. He was still winning like inside two seconds, basically every single snap. But there were barely any pass plays in the game because they were giving up a ton on the ground. And that's really the Lions game plan, I would think, coming into this. Their rushing attack with Jameer Gibbs, with David Montgomery, it looks great. The offensive line is incredibly good. Uh, and it matches up well with Dallas's biggest weakness. So that side of the ball could be a struggle for them and their their offense is going to need to fire 
and it should against uh, Detroit's defense, but like this has absolute shootout written all over it. As we as we move on from the the week seventeen games and kind of focus a little bit big picture, um, sort of from a bird's eye view, I look at the current situation of what might be happening with the number one draft pick um, for Carolina slash Chicago, and I still think there's no sort of definitive answer. Um, I, I think how you would grade out Caleb Williams certainly implies that that would be the natural pick, but. Um, that haul for the number one pick, if Chicago gets it this year, is going to be substantially more, I believe, than what Carolina gave up for it last year, moving from nine to one, uh, just because of the upside of somebody like Williams, or um, yeah, maybe Drake May is that guy, or, or maybe Daniels in LSU is somebody that they want to be able to move up for. Um, if you could put yourself in Ryan Pace's shoes and you end up having that number one pick and you have a lot of decisions to make, uh, where's the first place that you start? Um, I mean, I think the first place is, you know, you, you need an honest evaluation of your guy, Justin Fields, and the two options at the top of the draft. And I think it probably is just two options, Drake Bay or Caleb Williams. So, you know, get the isolated evaluation of all three of those guys put together. Uh, and the first question is, who's the best quarterback of the three guys, right? And if that's Justin Fields, now, okay, now we move on to step two of that evaluation process, which is, okay, how good is he? Because now contract is coming into the, the equation. It's not just which is the best guy because Justin Fields is running out of rookie contract and we're going to have to not just decide he's our guy now, but you have to be comfortable. Is he the guy for 40 plus million dollars a year pretty soon? Um, because that is a different equation now. Now it's, well, would you rather Caleb Williams or Drake May who are who we've decided are not as good as Justin Fields. On the other hand, they are going to cost a fraction of what Fields costs for an extended period of time. Um, and then the third element in, the, in all this is what does that offer look like, right? Because one of the big elements of the Carolina deal being so much was they were moving from nine. You know, that, that's why they had to give up such a huge amount to make that happen. If this year, you know, if the offer is coming from number three overall, it's not going to be that big a trade, even if the guy, the quarterbacks are are better players and therefore, theoretically, the number one pick is more valuable. Just right. the difference in number three to number nine is going to make a huge impact in that trade. So I think that's the kind of circle that you're going to have to square if you're the, the Bears. It's number one, figure out what you believe Justin Fields actually is and where he can go. Number two, make the same question for those rookies. Um, number three, what does the fields conversation look like once you start to factor in what his contract is going to need to be? And then number four, that final element, what is the trade that you're going to be able to get for that spot to even contemplate moving out of it? What would you consider trade uh, a fair trade value for, for fields at the end of the season? And I know that the last two games might indicate a little bit of movement one way or the other, but you have a, a three-year sample size at this point, and yet everyone still feels like there's more that he can do and more surface to be scratched, uh, it's he still feels incomplete, which is tough to say for somebody after getting a, a sample size of you know almost forty to forty-five games. The like the perspectives on Justin Fields are so wide, it, all over the map. You know, it's almost like he's a Rorschach to kind of test. Well, some people are going to see this like Lamar Jackson ready to break out as soon as they build a correct team around him. 
other people look at him and say that this guy's not a viable starting quarterback still. Uh, we're a couple of years into this, like it's time to cut bait and move on. And then everything in between, I think, is a viable opinion as well. Um, clearly, I, he's an interesting prospect because the one thing I think people, he's, he's the opposite player to what everybody thought he was, he was coming out of college, right? When he came out of college, he was this deadly accurate passing quarterback who, you know, you knew he was athletic, but nobody was sitting there going, that's what he's going to build his game on at the next level. It's going to be Lamar Jackson. And then we'll figure out what he can be as a passer. It's like, no, he's a deadly accurate passer. We've got some concerns with that offense and the processing and that kind of stuff. And then he's athletic enough to, you know, add to his game a little bit as well. Um, but he's been amazing athletically and, and rushing with his with his legs and uh, one of the most dynamic rushing threats in the entire NFL. And then passing has been the weakness and it's been accuracy as well as as decision making and processing and all those kinds of things. So everyone, you're kind of looking at this and saying, well, how much of what we saw in college was real and do we think that's still there? Because if it is, theoretically, there should be a lot more upside to this. We should still be able to keep progressing and keep getting better, put it all together and end up with this kind of Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. Or was that simply a product of the college offense he was playing in? And actually in NFL offenses, he's not going to look like that. And that isn't on the table. And his ceiling isn't that. His ceiling's a lot closer to where he is now. I think he is still a very difficult quarterback to pin down and, and identify not just what he is right now, but what he can be going forward. And for that reason alone, I think it's very difficult to talk yourself into keeping him if you're Chicago. And, you know, there were reports out there this week that uh, the Bears are going to get a first round pick for him still. You know, if they trade him, they could get a first rounder back. If they can, I think they should do that deal without even thinking about it. I mean, if they can you know, trade out of number one or take a quarterback at number one and you get a Justin Field and you get a first round pick back for Justin Fields. I think that's a no brainer. I think you start, you reset the clock, you get the next guy and you try and rebuild with the extra first round pick you're going to get back. Yeah, that would be three first round picks in the 2024 draft, which would be uh, an exciting prospect for anybody that's been wishing for something positive to come. Uh, the Chicago Bears away for for quite some time, including yours truly. Uh, Sam, before I let you go, I'll, I'll sort of leave it to you. Um, it, are, what are you most excited about for the upcoming college football playoff games? Is there a particular team that you've had your eye on, a particular prospect? Uh, do you have a lean on, on who you think might take home this thing? Uh, if you could sort of sum up where you are college football playoff-wise, whether it's a prospect or a team, uh, what what gets you fired up for uh, for January 1st and beyond? Yeah, I'm, I kind of come to the college game from a prospect lens, you know, looking at these guys that are going to be in the draft um, uh, in the next in the upcoming year. So I think there's some fascinating draft prospects in this this final four group. That Washington offense is so fun because of the playmakers that they have. They've got a couple of receivers, I think, that are going to be really good NFL players. Everybody is focusing on uh, Romeo Dunze. I think Polk is actually an absolute superstar, though, in that offense. He's the guy I'm really intrigued to watch more of because what I've seen from him so far, I love him as a receiver in what is a very good wide receiver draft class. What, what stands out about him? Why, why him over Adunze as far as sort of start him in the NFL? I just love every time I was watching, I was actually watching uh, Michael Penix Jr. Penix Jr.'s tape. Um, and 
Polk was the guy that was jumping out more than Adunze. I, I think he's he's not as obvious in terms of sort of physical ability and and prototypical uh, skill set and that kind of thing. But he's incredibly smooth. He's really he tracks the ball extremely well. Like makes natural adjustments to it. And I just loved his NFL skill set. I think they're they'll both be good NFL players. I like what each of them brings to the table. But Polk is the guy I think that everybody is sleeping on because you know Adunze is getting so much tension right now yeah good size good speed uh fluidity in his routes is, is something that's been noticed a lot from a scouting perspective um that, that could be a nice little steal for some team down the line and uh as somebody who watched michael Penix uh from the lens of an indiana fan um watching him as well as caleb DeBoer succeed in washington it's there's that little bit of jealousy in your heart that can't believe you let him get away but you're also happy because you knew it just wasn't going to happen at indiana so uh, happy for them. We'll be rooting for them. Just don't know if it's necessarily the bet that I would make. Sam, great stuff. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight. It was great to catch up with you. Uh, anything coming up on the uh, PFF NFL pod that we should be on alert for, as well as at uh, PFF that we can uh, gain a little bit more attention to for you guys? No, just that we are now, we are finalists for the uh, Sports Podcast Awards uh, this year. So in my pinned tweet at PFF underscore Sam, it's an open vote. We need people to go and vote for us to win this thing because everyone says, you know, it's just exciting to be nominated. And it is, but you want to win. So <laughs> let's go and rig the vote. Get us to be an award-winning podcast, not simply a finalist for the awards. Right. And since uh, none of us at KCSN ended up making the list, I would encourage everybody uh, to go and follow Sam at PFF underscore Sam. Uh, I'm about to vote as soon as we are done recording here. Sam, I appreciate it, man. Great to see you and uh, have a happy new year. We'll do this again soon. You too. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.